Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychology. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a degree I definitely remember every single word of. It gives a massive amount of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the fantastic Jake Yap. Oh, hi. Hi. How are you, Jake? I, 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 I'm at too much peace for <laughs> an adequate podcast contribution. <laughs> this is a very nice sofa. Thank you. I, yes. I covet your sofa. Mine is very narrow. Mine is tiny. Yours is enormous. A narrow sofa. That's, yeah. That's not a good thing to have. No. That's going to cause you I a lot literally, of Literally, I'm going to move house because of the sofa. <laughs> it's Ikea. It's very cheap. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, so, yes, as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the conversation. Jake is lying down. Really lying down. Oh, yeah. On my beautiful sofa. Sorry. Ikea, £1,000. Cheap. Um, <laughs> you and I have very different concepts of cheap, young man. <laughs> this is when I was doing well. Oh yeah, well we all ago. we all had that, and now we do podcasts. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, so Jake, are you used to this setup at all? Lying down and talking to someone, you know, any therapy or any self exploration of your mind? Do you, do you know the last time I was in this sort of setup? with someone sitting in the room and me lying on a couch with my eyes closed. It was on the South Circular in Woolwich with huge juggernauts thundering by. And I tried hypnotherapy. It was during my A-levels and I was quite stressed about them. And so my mother thought uh, it would be a good idea for me to sort of maybe learn some relaxation techniques. And the, the trouble was as, as I was supposed to sort of descend down into a calm space, I could just feel all the muscles in my shoulders knotting up as A, the juggernauts thundered by, B, the woman put on some relaxing music, which was synthesized pan pipes. And I couldn't really get past that. And C, she would change her voice in a really weird way. So she'd go, um, you know, you go in and she'd be like, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. I hope you had a good week. Blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, okay, great. And she'd be like, do you want to lie on the sofa? Okay, yes, fine. And then she goes, such a lovely feeling. <laughs> and she put on this weird voice and I, I couldn't relax at all. I was very glad when it was all over. <laughs> so I think this might be better. I, I hope so. <laughs> 
Yeah, how much of that did he do then for A-levels? Was that just a couple of sessions or...? I don't know, I, I, a few weeks worth. Yeah. I don't know how many weeks. Sounds... She sort of wanted to dig down. She wanted to drill down into places that I wasn't really ready to go. All right. So she wanted to look at kind of bullying and right. stuff that happened to me as a kid and, you know... And I was just, it was too close. I was, you know, I was still at school. I was in that environment. I wasn't ready to start. When yeah. I put on my silly voice, I'll be mentioning a bully. Um, <laughs> Stick some pan pipes on this, Mike. You've got to do it. <laughs> Did you get any good relaxation techniques out of that, though? No, none at all. Okay, no. good. I did a piano exam today. I would have needed my hands locked up, so I, I'm just uh, on the lookout for relaxation techniques. Okay. I recommend turning off pan pipe music. That's quite a good. <laughs> and being away from traffic. <laughs> I love the thought of I love the thought of, yeah, I love the thought yeah. of therapy being on the middle of the M1. Yeah. <laughs> the central reservation. Just relax. Yeah. It is wet today, but <laughs> so people may know you, Jake, from all the radio and TV and online stuff you do. These do, yeah. Um <laughs> and your A-levels, your A-level results were amazing. Thank you. Three A's. Um that clearly worked. Um <laughs> So uh, I believe the last time you did an hour stand-up was 2016-17? Yes. Is that right? Yes. How much stand-up are you doing at the moment? None. Not, none at all? None at all. Okay. It's not my natural environment. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm aware that, you know, podcasts are sort of there for posterity. And if ever I think, I'll do some more stand-up, <laughs> someone will come and find this podcast and go, well, I'm not, sticking, I'm not dropping 10 quid on that. But We'll date this, 2019. Yeah. November. Just before I found my voice in stand-up. <laughs> and that was the point. I think I never, it's never felt like my natural environment. And, and in, you, you've got to be quite odd for it to feel like a natural environment to you, obviously. Mm. But... For me, I think some people, every comedian has their kind of native space for comedy, right? So for some, it's sitcom, you know, for some, it's character acting, for some, it's stand up. Mm. I think my native space, this sounds a bit highfalutin, but I'll explain, is broadcast comedy and really specifically radio or audio. Mm. And it's because that's the diet I was fed as a child. Yeah. So it was always uh, the Goon Show, Round the Horn. And then as I got a bit older, I got into Victor Lewis Smith, uh, who I ended up working for. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, we can go back to uh, my childhood at school at some point, if you like. <laughs> I'm not going to say the actual word. But you, you, anyway... But what I loved particularly about Victor Lewis Smith was mm. the way he crafted audio to serve comedy. Um, it was breathtakingly fast. It was really rich. And even just the sound of it, he, he compressed everything so that it was just this wall of sound. And I think all of that kind of informed my idea of what comedy was. I didn't, I didn't go and see much stand-up. Yeah. I saw a bit. So but, did you do this kind of stuff first before you tried stand-up? Yeah, you tried stand -up I mean, in... everyone used to make tapes at home, right? You made yeah, tapes yeah. at home. Yeah. Well, I would make tapes at home. Yeah, and I read somewhere that you, you tried these things out on people at school, presumably the ones that weren't bullying you, um, little sketches. And... Yeah, I never, I never really belonged to a clique at school. Yeah. Uh, I could, no one really knew what to do with me, um, I, and most of all myself. So I'd sort of flit about to different groups in the playground. Yeah. I, I would, I would sort of have a kind of, I'd think of some 
jokes. I mean, I, don't, I, I, I can't tell you what, like some sort of routine, probably observational comedy. I, and I wasn't sort of consciously doing it. I was thinking, oh, I'll go and talk to these people about that. And then I'd go and talk to some other people about that. And yeah. over the process of my sort of morning break and lunchtime, <laughs> I'd have sort of honed the act. <laughs> Uh, ready for the bus home. Was that anything to do with the bullying? Was that anything in terms of combating it? Or I, it was. I finally worked out the strategy yeah. to deal with bullying, and and I, you know, I, I, I just people just punched me for you know seven years or whatever it was, right. and I sort of took it. And I, my mother would urge me to sort of punch them back, and I just couldn't do it. It's, it's, and then I finally realised that the way I could deflect and de-escalate things if you know if it was going to go into that kind of thing if I could manage to sort of honk out a joke they kind of go are you all right yeah and it made you look a bit more fearless I'd even go so far as to say that I use comedy in a very controlling way like socially like if I'm done with a conversation (laughs) This is awful. But if I'm finished with a comment, like if I just want it to end, I'll do a joke, you know, I'll say something funny. And while they're laughing, I can slip in, well, I must be off, see you later. And they're kind of going, ah, all right, okay, bye. You know, and it's sort of done. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful, isn't it? I'm a tyrant. See, the, the bullied always becomes the bully, always. I'm bullying you right now. You can't even tell. You love it. <laughs> yeah. Have you just thought of that in terms of what you do in conversation? It sounded like you just... No, I have. I have. I, I've, I've sort of thought about it before. Yeah. I, I sort of... It's never a conscious thing, but it's just sort of learned little behavioural tropes, isn't it? That you, yeah. you end up falling back on. Yeah. So you say stand-up is not your, not your native space. How, how are you feeling then when you're doing it in terms of it not being your native space? You're not... Uh, I think it's... In terms of relaxation. It, what I'd love to do, future buyers of tickets to see JCAP Live <laughs> 2027, uh, is to find a way to do it where it feels more uh, authentic to me. Really good stand-ups go out and they do their routine and it feels like, as you say, they've just thought of a thing and now they're sharing it. And they'll even sort of chuckle away at, at bits of it. Yeah. And that's genius because it sort of feels spontaneous and we're in this shared little moment. Mm. And sometimes there can be nothing more uh, uh, disappointing than going and seeing a stand-up like the next night and seeing them do the little fluff in the same place because <laughs> it's actually part of their routine and it wasn't a special magical moment that happened in that, in that moment yeah. yesterday. Um, and I think for me, doing a routine over and over, I, I, I can't, I can't bear it. Right. it. Because the jokes become valueless to me. You know, when you go over the same thing over and over again, it, well, yeah. it's not funny anymore. Yeah. So I, I go out. How uh, quick is the, sh- how quick is the shelf life for that? For very you? quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About an hour. Because of what you're used to, and then, And then uh, kind of. You know, a week later or a month later or a year later, I'll revisit what I did and go, oh, yeah. that was funny. Because the, uh, th- uh, this is another element, actually. So I've got a terrible memory. 
Yeah. I'm very good at mindfulness. I am so in the moment. There was literally nothing before and nothing after because <laughs> I retain nothing. And uh, so most of the time, if I'm on stage, I'm trying to remember what the heck is coming next. Yeah. And then when I get to it, I'm thinking, oh, this is rubbish. So I think audiences <laughs> sense that, that I'm not selling this well. You know, he doesn't believe in what he's saying. Why should I laugh? So it's all sort of catastrophic. And I... I've had good times on stage. The mm. best bits have been the moments where I've dared myself to improvise. I used to do a thing, this was like 10 years ago. Um, I did Edinburgh in 08, 09 and 16. Yeah. And I, in 08 in Edinburgh, never really having, I mean, I'd done tiny bits of stand-up and I just went and did a full show. And I think doing a full show is much easier than doing a type five. Yeah. Because you can't convey everything you want to you know, five minutes is what it takes to establish who you are with an audience. And then it's like, that's it from me. You know, it's over. So I did an improvised sea shanty. I don't know what, because I owned an accordion. Like, so why not? <laughs> and so I take suggestions from the audience and I weave it into a thing. And I, I knew what the structure was. I sort of basically knew what the lyrics were, but at least there was something fresh to work with every night. Yeah. And how did that go? Um... Can and you do it for by us and large, now, it went well. And what was nice was that I could enjoy that. If yeah. something funny happened, I was enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. But that was the thing. I never got, I never, I, I've never found my voice in stand-up. I don't know what it is. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I would love yeah. to try and be like someone like Ross Noble, where you kind of go on and something happens. Yeah. And you work with it. I love that. And I yeah. love. Have you tried that? I sort of had a little go once in a preview I did. Yep. in 16 and it was not successful all right <laughs> but you just tried once well <laughs> when it comes to broadcast i know i know how to do live radio i'm quite comfortable with that yeah i like being in that moment because then all of that spontaneity stuff happens yep. and then i like broadcast for doing something pre-recorded multi-layered heavily produced with multiple voices i can do that yeah. I, I don't... I mean, I know what the answer is. The answer is just go and do a load of it. Yeah. I worked... Do you want to? Do you no. want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> but remember, but, 2027, <laughs> JCAP Live. No, but I, I mean, do. do in, but, in an ideal world, if you could, if you could do it and yes, keep doing it to. as yeah, it went badly and keep doing it, is, is it still there as a I as think so, but I think... I think to really be good at stand-up, really, really good at stand-up, yeah. you have to need to do it. And I don't think I ever felt that. I was always happy to make things at home and then listen to them quietly mm. on headphones on the bus. You know, that, that's a pleasure. But what about stand-up in terms of not needing to? What, so you did it in 08 and 09, as you mm. say, then you went back to it in 2016. Mm. Why did you go back to it if you didn't need to? Or if there's no party that needs to. I, when I did stand up in 09, by a kind of, um, by accident, I ended up doing two shows a day in Edinburgh. And I was in this venue that was just a bar with huge sort of plate glass windows behind you, practically. <laughs> looking out onto the street and like the door just opens from the street and the bar is in the room and 
it's a bar <laughs> and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. You're just standing in the window. And I thought, I can't. It's going to look so weird. Like a grown man suddenly changing into like a sequins negligee thing that I had <laughs> and putting on a wig. It's going to look so... And I absolutely freaked out. I literally I got to Edinburgh. Mm. I hadn't wrecked the venue. Right. And the day before I was due to start, I looked at it and thought, I can't do my character part yeah. of this show. So, in fact, I mean, if you want to study body language, look at the way I'm clenching my buttocks. So, <laughs> the, with 24 hours to go, I jettisoned at least half of that show. Yeah. And just had to put in whatever I could think of. How did I that had. feel in that moment? Pure panic? I mean, I'd Horrified. Be, yeah. I mean, it was just hor- I, I just wanted to go home because I just thought, this is going to be catastrophic. Yeah. And so I went through the whole long month and I had to be really regimented because I was, I was getting up at half six in the morning to mm. do Sean Keaveney's breakfast show on Six Music. Mm. I was doing that till 10. Then I'd go for a run. <laughs> then I'd... Because the last thing you want is a rest. Then I'd have a sleep. <laughs> then I'd do flyering okay. for the first show. Then I'd do the first show. That ended at, I think, three, four. Mm. Then I'd go home. Was that the Dora food. show, the first show? Yeah, okay. that, which ended up being not the Dora show. Yeah, yeah. Then I'd go out, flyer again, do the next show at, I think, eight, which went on nine. And then I had, like, guest slots booked in the evening <laughs> after that at, like, ten. So it was... Horrific. (laughs) And I had to be so regimented. And I was doing this afternoon show that was so cobbled together. And the only review I got, practically, the only reviews I got were for the free show, which was very much the (laughs) B-roll of material. And I was sort of a bit unabashed about it. I'd sort of say to people, you know, come to the show tonight and you can see how wonderful this hour could have been. I got a it's review, a guy had very kindly like previewed me, I think in the Independent, yeah. saying it's like top 15 ones to watch in Edinburgh. <laughs> and then he came and reviewed it oh, no. and absolutely destroyed it. Yeah. And he said, and the, the phrase that just burned, and I had it as my Facebook little bio line for years. He said, he said something from, from the beginning, it's clear he's no stand up. Yeah. And that absolutely crucified me. And after reading that, I was just dead inside yeah. for the rest of the month. I mean, I can actually, I feel, <laughs> it's quite emotional. Like, it, it really cut. Yeah. And, and it was just the, having to go on and do it two, three times a day. Yeah. After that. How long into the run did you get that review? Oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Yeah. Do you remember where you were when you read it, when you saw it? I must have been in, in wherever I was staying in the flat. And right. I think, you know, I was doing that. But it's not like awful. a flashbulb memory of... You said, no, so it was, it, I, I think like my parents were there. They were looking after me, valiantly flying in the rain. Right. And that felt horrible because I was like, why am I putting them through this? Like, Could you turn to your parents for support or did you turn to anyone oh, else for support? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were amazing. They were, they were just amazing. Yeah. Um, but in a way, their belief in me just made it worse because you just thought, you, don't do this. Like, if I'm going down in flames, that's fine, but mm. I don't want to drag you with me because I love you. And it was, 
I think they'd seen it and they hadn't told me and they were hoping that I wouldn't find it. I know right. that my tech, a really brilliant, brilliant man called Richard Cray, who's a great comedy writer and performer in his own right, um, he'd seen it. And they were all just sort of trying to protect me, but of course I just Googled it and found it. Yeah. And then it was just, Edinburgh was just ash in my mouth. So That it, moment made it, made it ash rather than the fact that you hadn't really got a show it was that. It moment, was sort of okay. It? Like it wasn't. It wasn't catastrophic. You, know, you couldn't hear you the crickets chirping. It wasn't like yeah horrific. I yeah. wasn't dying, but it just yeah. wasn't like the best show it could have been. Yeah. yeah. And I felt, oh, this guy's just categorically told me I've failed. Yeah. And I just ran away. You know, I just thought, I'm. I, why? Why would I do this? I just yeah. don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I mean, I've been there. Yeah. You know, I've been there. At the same time in Edinburgh, I was there in 2010. Kate Copstick said something about me, and um, and I've been there. And it's uh, it is a truly awful moment. So that's why I asked. Do you remember? Because I always remember where I was right. when I first have a glimpse of those words that, as you say, crucify you. And however much you've done stand up, and I've been doing it for 72 years now. Wow, <laughs> you look good, man. The fear is, but. Yeah. When it happens again, it's only happened once or twice, thank God. But when it happens, it, you just can't control how much you, crucified is the is the word. You just feel devastated, even though you know it's only one person's opinion. What hurt? What hurt? Was that he was right? Right. That's what hurt. He was absolutely right, mm. and so that's that was what stung. You know, I can take criticism um, and I can take abuse, God knows. But when it's accurate, <laughs> man, it hurts. And, and I just thought, I can only agree. Uh, and, and that was the thing. And I sort of wore it as a badge. You know, yeah, you say you put it on your years. you put it on your Facebook yeah. your, in your bio. Yeah, wasn't that crucifying yourself over and over again? I think I felt ashamed. You know, I felt deeply ashamed, and mm. I wanted. I sort of wore it as a kind of leper's belt. You know, it was a kind of. I wanted to warn people away and say that you know don't don't consume my stuff. It's not worth it. But r really, absolutely, because and I I stopped doing stand up. I did for quite a moment. So and you're saying you put it on Facebook because you agreed with the review and yeah. wanted people to know you weren't good at stand-up. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people use their reviews as like, That's I'm a badge of honour. Yeah, I'm brave yeah. enough to. Yeah. I know I I disagree with this. I like Stuart Lee uses it a lot. Yeah. But, um, a bad review. And, but I agreed. Yeah. You know, he was right, <laughs> uh, and I sort of. I felt shame, you know, and I felt guilt for sort of wasting people's time. And so I went into a, a kind of uh, a wilderness time, I suppose. Uh, I was doing Sean Keaveney's show on breakfast and that kind of suited me because I was just doing sketches from home mm. every morning. And I'd sort of do them and 
uh, I love Sean dearly, but he was not one for name checking. <laughs> so I was pretty much anonymous. And I mean, I knew I had to go. I knew I had to quit when I got a sketch on to pick of the week. And it was back anode as Sean Keaveney and team. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. Like, I, I can't, you know, I can't. Um, we, we're going to listen to one of those sketches in a second, but just a final point on this. You say you agreed and you were ashamed, but did you never feel that this, the, the review came out for a show you didn't want to do? This was a show you were forced mm. to do because there was a glass window and a door yeah. instead of a stage yeah. entrance. You know, didn't, wasn't there any part of you think, well, hang on, um, that wasn't the show I wanted to do. It's not all my fault. I am a stand-up. Because I've seen you do stand-up, and you're not that bad. Really? <laughs> God. Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, when it's your name over the door, you have to take responsibility. No one cares that the venue meant that half your act was unworkable. Like, that's no one's problem but yours. Yeah. But knowing you know, that... It's not that reviewer's problem. Sure, but I, knowing that when the review came out, they're not reviewing your best work, are they? No. Mm. But... Um, I think... Oh, I don't know. It's just, I'm uh, not saying it's, it, it, it's still not devastating because it always is. And... But just looking back, I'm just trying to make you feel better about it, I Thanks, guess, because I, I know how awful it is. And, yeah. But that reviewer then gave me a great review last year, and it's kind of a big circle. And, it, you know, you always remember it. And yeah. um, I think I'm, I'm kind of like the opposite of Piers Morgan. I hope to be. But um, in the sense that he, I saw an interview with him once where he said um, when he walks into a room full of people, he automatically assumes that he's the most intelligent one there. <laughs> and I walk in assuming I'm the thickest and most worthless one in there. Right. And then I'll sort of start from ground zero and then work out socially where, where I might rank. But I absolutely mm. assume everyone's superior. So anyone else's opinion, I, as a default, is, is probably more worthwhile than mine. Yeah. And you take that all the way back to being a child? Is that how you felt at school? I, I think so, yeah. Well, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, it was quite, you know, firmly rammed home that I was, uh, you know, uh, worthless. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to spend I mean, the how, next... far, how long have we got? <laughs> you said 70 quid, right? <laughs> yeah. I know it's London prices, so... <laughs> Um, yes, I will give you the 70 quid soon. This is, this is gold content. <laughs> um, well, you know what? In the next part of the, um, the conversation, I'm gonna, it's all about building you up. Amazing. From worthless. We've reached the point of being, <laughs> being worthless, which you clearly aren't. But yeah, I mean, as I say, I've been there and you do have those feelings. And it's, it comes back to that compulsion, I guess, that I have a compulsion to do stand-up, however bad it is. Five seconds later, I'm itching to go and do it again. Really? If, if you don't have that compulsion. Um, what is that dividend? It's, it's more that if I don't do it, if I'm feeling low, the one way of feeling better is to go back on stage. 
Weird. And get another review. You're so messed up. <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, following the rules of psychotherapy, you have to go and be a guest on someone else's Psychology <laughs> of Comedy podcast. Oh, yeah, right? that's going to happen one yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can interview Yeah, yeah, me, we'll yeah. reciprocate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that is what a lot of stand-ups do. They roll off one stage and it's gone badly. They can't wait to get back on because it's... So you were living with that review, mm. um, you know? Um, and I guess, did you do anything to try and get through it? Or rather no. than you say you did bits of sketches and stuff, or did you do any, you know... I Oh, God, I'm trying to remember what I did. I could tell you, like, terrible, terrible memory. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're still not over it to a certain extent in terms of... No. Is this stopping I mean, in you? terms of my sort of almost phobia of stand-up. Yeah. No, I don't think I am fully over it. So 2016, so that was 2009. Yeah. 2016 was about me trying to kind of grasp the nettle yeah. and get back on the horse and yeah. do all the other metaphors. And <laughs> so I... And that went well, didn't it? It did go well. It yeah. did go well. And, Where was that and, review of that year? Right. Uh, Dead, hopefully. Well, I don't know how it happened, <laughs> and it's certainly nothing to do with me. But um, I deliberately did, because both of those shows had involved accordions and all sorts of music playback <laughs> and ukuleles and who knows, I can't remember, stuff. <laughs> it was very elaborate. I was mm. putting on a show, guys. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? If I'm doing this again, I want to prove that I can do an hour of stand-up. Yeah. Just stand-up. Pure stand-up. Because, because of that review. I want to be able to kind of look back and go, oh, I, I did it. I did stand-up. Like, there was no, I wasn't hiding behind any props. There wasn't any funny songs or there was no kind of uh, diversions or distractions. It was literally just me with a microphone. Mm. Plus on a practical level. God, it makes life easier. But so that's what I built. Mm. And it was it was an all right show. But I. God, what I love about broadcasting is you have an idea, you write it, you make it. And then you've done it. And you never have to think about it again. Yeah. Whereas I think doing stand-up with a routine, however good it is, you know, it's like your best pair of jeans. After a while, you just want to stop wearing them and, like, put them in the wash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't just go on wearing those jeans forever. It's all a bit sordid and soiled and yeah. festering. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's, that sounds like the thing that's really holding you back, that you, as soon as you say a joke, you just, you don't like it anymore. You no, know? As soon as it done. goes well, it's done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, Kate Copstick enjoyed that show. I've, I've read the review. It's, she, she loved it. And she was, she's, she's uh, very generous. She, yeah. knows what, she knows what she's doing. She didn't in 2010, but no. she does now. <laughs> no, but 16 was a particularly good year for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A review so of her reviews. Like, it sounds like, yeah, if you're going to come back to stand-up, and if people are listening to this and buying tickets to your stand-up, it sounds guys. like you're going to do an improvised show by the sounds of it, because I think that's the one. Yeah, that's the one thing that you. Anyway, yes, let's let's rise out of the ashes of worthlessness and talk a, <laughs> a little bit about. I'm really these. very comfortable here. Though. <laughs> yeah. um, talk a little bit about um, some successes, which we'll cut in the edit. Yeah, um, of course. We'll only, yeah, we'll yeah. Only just, end. <laughs> yeah, just end on worthless. Yeah. 
Good night. Yeah. Just edit all the dead air that's happened so far <laughs> together in one long silence, right? At the end. <laughs> um, so yeah, in terms of these sketches, you know what? Let's have a listen to one. Love granola? Then you could love hosting a granola party for your friends and neighbors. Earn fantastic commissions selling granola from your own home. Hey, what's all this stuff? It's granola! You'll love it! Host your very own granola party. Sell granola and earn money in your spare time. Granola, oats, fruit, cash, and fun. And the milk's on us. Granola! <laughs> I chose that for a reason. Not because it's very funny. <laughs> Come on, you're not worthless. No, 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 but... That was worth something. I, I well, no, it wasn't worth much, but I chose <laughs> it because... So for two and a half years, I think three years, I did sketches on Sean Keaveney's Breakfast Show on Six Music. Mm. And the way it worked was each morning I get an email at about a quarter to seven saying, can we have sketches on this story, this story, and this story? Yep. And I basically had rolling one-hour deadlines to write voice, edit and mix and deliver the final audio sketch. I chose that piece because it was the fastest turnaround of all the pieces I did. Mm. So what happened with that, Sean Keaveney and Matt Everett had been in the studio live. I was just listening to it on my radio <laughs> in my bedroom, spare bedroom. And they were talking about granola and saying something about, oh, we should be on commission for this, talking about granola or something, you know, mm. maybe we should sell it like, um, and summer's parties or, or something like that, Tupperware parties. Mm. And they put on a record. And in the duration of the record, which was three and a half, four minutes, I made that wow. and got it to them. And they played it out straight off the back of the next record. That's amazing. So it was like three and a half, four minutes I made that in. So, yeah. as I say, it's not good, but at least it was over quickly, which you can apply quite liberally to everything I do. Uh, it sounds, like this, ones, it sounds like this fires you up, the speed of getting things out there and it. not having to do it again. Is that, is, yeah. is that what fires you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of, <laughs> it's just keep running. Keep running away from whatever you just did. And the brilliant thing about working under pressure like that is it forces creative ideas out of you mm. that uh, you just never have otherwise. Yeah. Because by necessity, you have to suspend any kind of inhibition or like critical analysis of what you're doing. You know, yeah. everybody redrafts as they write, but you kind of just can't do that when you've got, you know, yeah. the Which, length of time it takes to type. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> I guess is the, is the opposite of stand-up in a way in terms of a lot of stand-ups are very protective about the stuff getting out there we sometimes have to yeah you know ask really nicely to get a clip in this podcast because people are very protective about but you're the opposite you want to get your stuff out there and you want to get it out there quickly and well there's um, loads of it you know as, yeah. as i say i can't attest it. it it's it's really maddening when you when you feel like you haven't landed it properly mm. i used to say I, I i feel like i get i would get stuff to about 85 percent of as good as they could possibly be yeah in an hour yeah. And then to do that last 15%, if you were really going to go for it, would take you the rest of the day. Yeah. And I just didn't have that. But 85%, sometimes, if it's a kind of consumable thing, it's good enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I like... <laughs> it's really awful because one should never cite a convicted paedophile. 
uh, as a mentor in any way. <laughs> I love it. You must be thinking, where is he going with it? But, there are so many to choose from. Yeah, yeah, take your pick. But, um, or depending on when this is going out. Prince Andrew is, no, Rolf Harris. <laughs> Rolf Harris. Rolf Harris, right. He used to say this thing about painting. I, think, I don't think it was race hatred. He'd say, kill the white. So the idea was... Um, if you've got a blank canvas in front of you, just make a mark on it. Yes, Whatever I it is remember. you're trying to do, just make a mark. Yeah. And then it's just a question of correction. You know, from yeah. there on, you're just fixing it <laughs> until you've got your painting. And I used to have that sometimes with writing. Um, when you're under that pressure and you're staring at a blank, a blank screen, type anything. Because then at least you know what's wrong, you know, and then you can start correcting it. And as you start correcting it, you'll start to find out what, what is right. And you sound like you enjoy this, enjoy this pressure. The, yeah. the quicker it is, the more pressure it's. Yeah. You never get pass. stressed about that. You never get anxious about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Okay. I think I have anxiety. So right. I think that once the universe can confirm, yes, you're right to be anxious. <laughs> because... Yeah. what you're trying to do is stupid, then uh, I can go, oh, great. Yeah. So it's okay to be anxious. Great. Well, I know, I know what that's like. I can just do that. Yeah. Is that the thing maybe with stand-up then, that you're putting too much pressure on yourself to be that 100%? This should be 100% because I've been yeah. working on this for a year. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. If, if I was doing... And remember, guys, 2027, JCAP Live. <laughs> I felt like, yeah, this has to be 100% this show because you've had plenty of time to prepare for it. Yeah. So if it's not 100%, shame on you. You had all that time. Yeah. And it wasn't that good. Yeah. Whereas if you can say, well, I only, I only had 90 minutes to make this. You're like, anything's a bonus. Yeah. You know, if I got the, the, the very mildest out of someone, well, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like when you're coming back in 2027, improvisation is the way to go. Yeah. It doesn't I have to be 100%. Of, uh, I sort of have an idea and it's a, it's a sort of germ of an idea. You sure I, I haven't just given you that idea? Because I want, I want some no, percentages no, of that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And shame <laughs> is, it, is, it well, about, is it about things we can learn from convicted paedophiles? Because... <laughs> Because oh I'd God. like to do That's that podcast such an with Edinburgh you. Edinburgh show title, isn't it? Everything <laughs> I learned from paedophiles. Oh, brilliant. We could do that show together. To that sounds like a great show. Have you, have These you guys have... have got something. You forget the great work that they did <laughs> before, yeah, Kill the Whites. Such a great... I remember him saying that. Yeah. It inspired me to paint. Really? Yeah, Kill the White. I used to do that. <laughs> you mean on the canvas? <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'll stop talking about that now. Um, <laughs> yes, well, I mean, yeah. Just I'm thinking, all I'm thinking black. of now is stuff we can learn from. Yeah. But yes, let's, let's move on from that, just for now. Sure. But podcast coming soon. Um, <laughs> right, I mean, God, it's, it's, um, I read an interview with you, and um, it said, if you could go back... And give your 16 year old self advice it would be this do you remember this nope. it said and I, told it was, you, I retain nothing yes well it was twofold it was very interesting oh, um terrifying. let's take the second one first you're not fat and you're not ugly oh so wow. i think maybe we've dealt with that one in terms of the the bullying mm. and um you know i 
Yes, I mean, having children myself, mm. I'm sorry you went through that. That's just that's horrible. Okay. Um, but hey, you're a comedian now, so, you know, that's... <laughs> they're not yeah, laughing I mean, now. I, I definitely... Um, uh, my partner, Kim, says, um, semi-jokingly, I think you've got body dysmorphia. Mm. Um, and I, I do, I, you know, I, do, I, I have sort of historically seen, seen my body as being fairly grotesque. Right. Um, and and not been very happy about that. Like some people, actually, I think it's a lie. You know, when people go, oh, I'm the way I am and ha, I'm just fine. I, I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure I buy that. But um, yeah, that was always the go-to for bullies was, was they criticised by weight. But I wasn't even, I was never like the fattest kid. No. I was just a little overweight, but not. But, but it's what people say, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. is it in some ways bullies are the same as reviewers. They can say one thing, one yeah, little yeah, sentence, yeah. and you'll remember it for your whole life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if, well, bullies and reviewers ever go back and question what they've said. I, I would also, I would say, in t I was thinking about the ugliness part. And I think, you know, I gave that answer somewhat glibly, but to, to slightly unpack it, I think it was, and uh, I can tell you how comedy influence my psychology rather than the other way around hmm. my formative years were kind of in the 80s when stand-up comedy like alternative comedy was a really big deal and i did go and see some and there was a lot on telly at the time and you know my parents were very into it and the sort of a recurrent theme in all stand-up at the time, and quite understandably as a kind of backlash against all of the kind of awful uh, old-school comedians, you know, my wife, all of that. But the message I got, you know, in, in very critical years for sort of forming who I am, was, <laughs> aren't men shit? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and isn't sex just fucking horrible? <laughs> yes, it is. And I, I really took that on board. <laughs> and so I thought that just by default, by being male, I was pretty awful, pretty rotten. And and I certainly believed that if women had anything to do with you physically. It was just because they were doing you a favour, because you expected it or you wanted it, and there was absolutely no dividend for them. Mm. I absolutely believed that, and that was absolutely from comedy. Yeah. And so it it took, yeah. You know, I mean, look, that's. I mean, first things first. Let's just dispel the myth of the female orgasm, because I have tried, and like, <laughs> doesn't exist, guys. Move on. But it did take me a long time to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to end on worthless anyway, so all this is, is yeah, worthless. Okay, um, good, yeah. The second thing you said, uh, if you could go back and give your 16-year-old self advice, was this, and I love this. Don't waste time dancing on the periphery of what you want to do. Yeah. That's lovely. That's a lovely phrase. And 
you know, I was thinking possibly you were maybe dancing around stand-up and thinking, you know, before I had this yeah. discussion with you, but I feel that less so now. Um, it, that that's, cause I, I, it sounds like what you really want to do is what you're doing. Yes. Mm. Because it's what I know and it's probably what I value the most. Yeah. Because you end up with a thing. Yeah. And you can play it. You know, moments, memories. Give me a break. You know, I remember Eddie Izzard, though, because he started stand-up comparatively late. And he said, it's no point giving a Ferrari to a 17-year-old because they won't know what to do with it. Yeah. And I think that you, you do come of age and you do have to kind of be ready for it. And there are some comedians who just burst onto the stage, fully formed, it seems, yeah. and just inhabit it brilliantly. And I never figured that one out. Yeah. But I actually don't think that much of what I did had that much merit until 2013, really. Yeah, well, this is a common theme, isn't it, with, with what you're saying in terms of no merit, worthless. Don't, don't you think that? <laughs> don't you think that you are? There's a chance you're better than you think you are. That people perceive you as better than think they think you are because. Well, let me ask you this: Is there anything that you do that you look at and you go, "That's great, what I've done there." I think, I think some of the music I write that that's the thing that actually privately gives me the most pleasure. Yeah. Like, this is, sounds very narcissistic, but I, I do listen to my own music and I really like it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and sometimes it works in concert with comedy yeah. that I do. And so I enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, but comedy, not so much. Some, some stuff. It sort of has to mature for a bit. I, basically, I have to forget it. You know, and, and obligingly I do because I retain nothing. Um, so, you know, I'm doing this podcast at the moment called Not Today, Thank You. Yeah. And, you know, I'll make a, I'll make a piece for that. And immediately I'll think, that's great. And then an hour later I'll listen to it and go, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and then like that afternoon I'll go, oh man. <laughs> and then two months later I'll go, hey, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and so... It's sort of funny at the moment. I'm sort of making this stuff that I, I'm, I, I'm not sure what I think of it. I don't feel like I've hit my stride again. Yeah. But, but yeah, I do. I don't want you to think that I, I hate everything I do because I, I, I really don't. Yeah, I think when I get something right and, it, and, it, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Then, yeah, I think it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. There we go. We I don't need to worry. That's what I'm saying. I'm okay. I'm in a good place. They won't hear this bit. We're ending on worthless. We're certainly cutting the bit about Rolf. Um, just a final, I'll, I'll give you a final just thought, which is the reason I said 2013 yeah. was um, I, I was sort of staring down, down the barrel of having to just give comedy up. I'd been sort of trying, trying, chipping away for years and doing bits and pieces. Mm. Um, but then... Uh, I, my son was due to be born yeah. and I sort of thought well I've, I've got to give this up I've got to just um, let go of this and get a job in an office and yeah. maybe probably cut promos again because uh, you know 
I've got to bring in some money <laughs> to feed a child now. Yep. And I absolutely believed that it was over. And so as a final kind of adieu and screw you, I did a YouTube clip called Radio 4 in 4 Minutes, where I, I distilled a, a day in the life of Radio 4 into 4 Minutes. Yep. And that was probably the first really, really raw, honest comedy I'd done in terms of it coming absolutely from the heart, in terms of being like, I don't care what anyone thinks about this, this is what I'm saying, because it's over. If I'm burning all my bridges, so be it. Fuck you. Yeah. I tried for years to get to Radio 4. So I made it and I put it out there. And it, I mean, to quote Dilly Keen, it didn't go viral, but it did go fungal. And uh, it turned out Radio 4 was as big a gimp as I am. And they loved it. And from that, of course, the irony being I got a Radio 4 series. Yeah. Um, but that was a watershed moment. And by the way, my kid was born the next day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It was a watershed moment because uh, I discovered that I, I could be honest. Yeah. You know, and, and it was still okay. I stopped trying to please anybody else so yeah. much. You could do that in stand-up. I could, couldn't I? You really could because, yeah, I mean, I've seen your stand-up. I've seen a lot of stand-up and it is a lot better than you think it is. Huh? And uh, <laughs> do you know what? Let's play in a little clip of oh your stand-up. Yeah. What is this? I have condensed... Inspired by you and what you do, <laughs> <laughs> there is a three-minute clip on um, on YouTube or Chortle, and I've condensed it down. Um, so this is you. Uh, I think how you started your 2016-2017 show, which was doing the whole of the Edinburgh Fringe in three minutes. Yeah. So this is what I've condensed down to 50 seconds, and this clip starts quite nicely for this podcast with you maybe doing a little parody of someone that uh, previously <laughs> appeared on this podcast, oh, Marcel Lecon. Hello, uh, my name is um, Jean Le Pouffet. Uh, I must stress at this point, it is not Marcel Lecomte. <laughs> cheese! Oh, cheese! Welcome to Matt and Dan's world of cheese. Uh, welcome to Cheese Detainment with Sophie and Matt in the Cheese size with Matt and Sophie and Dan. Cheese Detainment with Sophie and Matt in 12 years of cheese. Sophie's cheese. And finally, desperately attempting to transmute a career in television that's lasted less than two minutes into some kind of viable career path. Please bid a fond farewell as we head into Edinburgh 2016 to your forlorn hope for the festival. Check it out. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> oh man see you I know, think that's he... great I, I, sorry I think that's great and sums you up in a way in terms of like I think that's really funny and the cheese thing and the 12 years of, of cheese is yeah. hilarious and and then at the end there you're almost you're almost apologising before you went up to the fringe saying Absolutely. saying ah. Oh, Oh, yeah. I've got to, yeah, I'd certainly like to see you. I mean, yes, just to uh, to end, really building you up. You know, I've been looking at your stuff uh, and listening for a few years, and I just love your stuff. I mean, the, the, you know, it's, um, you know, the Charlie Brooker stuff. I just would tune in. I mean, I love Charlie Brooker as well, but the stuff you did on that, you know, it would be a highlight of the show for me. And, um, oh, you know, you. and uh, a lot of the stuff you do is just... You understand, it's, you're all that's happening here is I'm just building my contempt for you now as you say that. <laughs> like, carry on. <laughs> really? No. Come no, on. Yeah, fun. I mean, <laughs> do you have a problem with people saying that you're good? Uh... 
No. Sounds like you do. That was too big a pause. Uh, I was sort of analysing it. I, th I think... Yeah, I, th I think... Uh... I, I don't know. I ju I, you know, people make mistakes. Look at the world of politics now, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, I couldn't tell you how I feel. Yeah, yeah. When people think something's good. I think it depends on... But do, do you ever think if you'd spent those six or seven years when you were getting bullied, being told you were great, your mind would uh, work in a very different way now, you know? Mm, definitely. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it brings a tear to my eye, really, you know, as I say, having kids and, you know... Mm both you and what other kids are going through and yeah you know it, it's so important those first few years yeah well my kid's six and oh. i've just pulled him out of school oh really because um i could just sort of see him closing up right. i think it's that thing of prior to six kids are just little amoebas you know they're, just, they're embryonic they're just these sort of happy little things that skip about. Mm. And once they hit five-ish, their personalities start to emerge. And by default, their personality is going to be a reflection of their parents. And, you know, most, most people are arseholes. This <laughs> is <laughs> shoving my kid in this room full of arseholes. Yeah. So uh, I do hope uh, some of those parents are listening. Hi, not you, if you're listening. It wasn't, not you is the other one. Um, and I just, I could see him just properly closing up and looking at the floor and I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put him through that. So he's being homeschooled now? Yeah. Right. Which I can confirm is exhausting. Yeah. Well, you clearly, you're slacking on that job as well. You're, uh, you're here with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fine. I left him at the bus stop. He's fine. Absolutely. I put a D-lock on him. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I can only do jokes like that when I'm a long way away from him in a weird way. The, the, the closer he is to me, the hot, I, like I can't. I couldn't look him in the eye and do that joke. When I'm like this far away, I'm like, okay, it's fine. I know he's. We he's know your inspiration for everything is Rolf Harris. So. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, <laughs> only half. Right. I mean, my goodness, there was so. There's so much in that. Um, well, I, I, I went I on mean, a bit, sorry. No, I mean, God, it was, uh, yeah. You're just so interesting and so funny. And, uh, yeah. Oh. If, um, I mean, what are the... Let's do this just to close. You're sure. very used to summing things up. <laughs> <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. Is there anything in the final minutes where you've... Something has come out, maybe, that you've thought, Ah, oh, wasn't expecting I was going to say that. And what's the what's the highlights from this where we can put it out? Um, you know, I, I, th I think on a I, serious I, or a funny note, really. Yeah, but. I think there's a lot about stand up and that review I got in '09 mm. that he's no stand up. I hadn't. I knew it had hit me at the time but I don't think I realise how much I'm still carrying it, actually. Yeah. You know, I, I did, I, I, you know when I was talking about that earlier, I, I was quite close to tears, and, and mm. I hadn't realised just how much of a blow that had dealt me. And I think, 
that is quite illuminating. And it, it might be time for me to just let that one go. Yeah. So thanks. I really okay. I mean, talking to, talking to people that have been through exactly the same things. I've been through pretty much exactly the same thing. And most people have. I think you said you were ashamed. And that's, yeah, that, that's the word that you do have to get rid of from your mind, that there's no shame in that. I think um, somebody... Well, you know what? That show, it was free and it was warm and it was dry. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was better than a bus stop. <laughs> It looked better through the stained glass window, I heard. That was, that was what people were saying. They were gathering on the streets. <laughs> but, you know, like, after this podcast closes, I'm here for you. And we're all here in this community. And we've all been through these things. And it is hard. And it's not to shy away from the fact that it is really hard. And it does take years to get over. And you, I read reviews very differently now. There was there, there was a part of me that, you know, you kind of was a bit of a vulture on reviews in the past. Is that, oh, that's bad. And then not that I would take glee in anything, but now I've gone so far the other way. Mm. I'm just like I read a Jack Whitehall review this week and I just thought you don't know potentially, however big he is, mm. what you're saying. Yeah, it was a it was a Brian Logan comment. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's made. I sometimes find it very difficult to do the things that. I was asked to do like with with the Charlie Brooker pieces you know I, I was kind of a gun for hire and I was being asked to be really polemic about shows and I don't necessarily always feel they're deserving and I don't want to be overly horrible it's not really my nature yeah. I'm kind of a people pleaser and and so suddenly having this reputation as being this guy who's this vitriolic, scathing, takes no prisoners guy who <laughs> assassinates TV shows. I was kind of like, it's not, it's not really, it's not really who I am. It's not, it's not what I mm. want to do. Um, you know, how 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 angry in all conscience can can you can you get with Gino De Campo? You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't get me started on him. He's worse than Harris. <laughs> Um, and so I did, you know, and, and yeah, having had that review done to me, you, I, I didn't want to do anything that I felt, I d I'm not comfortable doing things where I feel like I'm just being horrible to, to score a laugh. Yeah. I didn't take, take it from that. Okay. Certainly that Charlie Brooker thing. It was always done like the Radio 4 thing. It was done, you know. It was also, wasn't done if I do hear from industry insiders, and I've got a few, that someone is an absolute shit on set, then I'll give them my barrel. I'm quite happy to do that. You can work out which one's from my pieces. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at them all again now. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. And, Thanks so um, much. Yeah, that was really great and really um, thought-provoking for me as well. And as you say, to, yeah, it takes me back as well. And it, it does bring a tear to your eye, these kind of things. And, but hey, we're stronger now, maybe. <laughs> I, we will be stronger in 2027. Yeah, that's the one. Gonna absolutely nail it. 27. Uh, bye. But yeah, more than anything, I guess if this, you know, if not doing stand up is making you happy, then just keep doing that. And um, one eye on the past, I think, is a good thing. I think that I'm thinking this because of that. Yeah. And you're not wrong to be thinking these things. There are reasons for these things. And. Um, you know, whenever I talk to a therapist, it all becomes clear. And uh, I think therapy is a great thing because they, they tell you these things all the time. And it just puts you in a better place. You know? Definitely. 
Anyway, thank you, Jake. Thank you thank so you. much. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychology on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us on Only Psychopaths. Like that independent reviewer. Leave bad reviews. <laughs> Psychology was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pod People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychology. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in those video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at Pod People UK at Psychology Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Jake Yap. Jake, thank you so much. Thank you. Lots of love to you all, and see you again next week. Pod people.